Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. My special guest today is Dr. Paramo Kopadarkar, who is the director of NASA's Aeronautic Research Institute. PK has been on my show before, and today we'll be talking about the importance of a stable and growing supply chain. So don't go away. There's a lot happening in this week's tech news. First up, is the CEOs of Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. So Tim Cook, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, and Sundar Pichai are all testifying in front of the Congress's antitrust committee because of the fear that these four companies representing $5 trillion in market cap have too much power. and. Although today was, as we record, it's the first time they're on Capitol Hill, some of the soundbite so far is that Mark Zuckerberg admitted that Facebook has copied its competition in the past, but that he doesn't believe it affected anything materially. So this is where you're in a merger and acquisition conversation. You don't know that we're going to buy or not buy a potential competitor. Um, and you decide that maybe you can just adapt your feature set, which is what Zuckerberg admitted to, to make it close enough. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about that. This also follows on the heels of earlier in the week, it came to light that Amazon's venture capital arm was also accused of stealing ideas from the startups that it not only incubated, but also invested in. And a lot of times it didn't move forward with that investment, but instead developed products with very similar features. And so now you know why that there's all this focus on what's happening on Capitol Hill this week with these four companies. Google CEO Sundar Pichai was grilled over sacrificing the anonymity of its users over the internet, and they specifically called out the merger with DoubleClick over a decade ago and how they had quote-unquote promised not to merge the user data, but somehow that data did get merged. In other news, Twitter had deleted more than 7,000 accounts the last several weeks uh, and also could delete up to 150,000 more with anything related to QAnon, uh, accusing QAnon of being uh, spreading conspiracy theories and therefore and unilaterally just deleting all those accounts. This is exactly one of the reasons why Congress is looking at all these companies because of the power that they have. TikTok, the Chinese social media company, has also said it's going to remove any hashtag related to QAnon for the same reasons that Twitter is doing that. Just as a reminder, because I know that the First Amendment is important to a lot of people, when we come to privately held companies, they're actually not subject to the First Amendment. But that's the question overall that I've spoken about in the past, about why do they get protections under the DMCA or the Digital Millennium Copyright Act if they are able to pick and choose what gets deleted and what doesn't. I will continue to cover this in future shows. And that's the Tech News of the Week. 
Welcome back to the show. Once again, my very special guest and returning guest is Dr. Paramo Kopadarkar, who is the head of NASA's Aeronautic Research Institute, and we affectionately call him PK. Welcome back, PK. Thank you, Keith. Uh, glad to be here. This is a great show. So, PK, uh, I loved having you on earlier, and I know today we want to talk about a very important topic. We're going to talk about evolving supply chain in the aerospace and aviation industries, and it's a topic we're both really passionate about. To you, what does supply chain really mean? What's involved in the chain in the context of NASA's ecosystem? It's a great question. And generally, if you look at any textbook definition of supply chain, it includes everything from raw material to the manufacturing processes to the people who actually make that transformation from input to output and all the way to the customer or a subsystem where it, that part gets injected. And so, for example, if you have an aircraft, the whole supply chain could include everything from its actuators and engines and wings and seat belts and seats and everything that avionics, anything that makes that, uh, it's sum of parts and the sum of parts in a, in a way that are put together by processes and people and the raw material that gets transformed into different kind of parts and components and such. So everything that is included in the supply chain. And the chain really starts from the raw material all the way to the finished product. In terms of some of the, what I'll call emerging technologies, when we think about uh, UAV, unmanned aerial vehicles, um, EVTOL, electric vehicle takeoff, are there any differences or nuances to those from the traditional aviation? Yeah, that's a great question. What's interesting about supply chain for traditional aviation is that after many, many decades of experimentation and relationships, the supply chain has evolved to a tier system. Same thing with automobile industry. So when you start, you start with a whole bunch of suppliers and trying to figure out who are the critical parts, where the raw material comes and all that. And eventually you say that's sort of untenable. You need a tier system. So the original equipment manufacturer, OEMs, ta interact with the tier one suppliers and tier one supplier could be engine and, and such. The tier one suppliers start interact with tier twos and tier twos to tier threes and tier threes to force and so on and so forth, all the way to the lowest possible tier. So that system evolves over a period of time. So conventional aircraft, that system is very much evolved, Boeing's and Airbus and Embraer and Bombardier. Now that system doesn't exist. Those tiers don't exist for drones and electric vertical takeoff and landing. So now what happens is when you want to build a new drone or new electric vertical takeoff and landing, you are on a scouting hunt for part manufacturer and yeah. everything. So you're trying to figure out, I get texts and calls like, where can I get over molding part done? Where can I get actuators? I can't find enough of these. And so there are two challenges. One is to figure that out themselves for every component or part or subsystem or system like electric motor. And the second is they don't have enough 
manufacturing volume because they are still doing prototyping one or two types of aircraft or drones in the early stages of design and so they can't find enough people getting excited about giving them one or two parts um some some of these suppliers are busy making large volumes and there's like that's too much of a distraction so what we need in supply chain is the would-be manufacturers, job shop in the, in the classical production systems, which I am production engineer by training. You need job shop, uh, batch production, and a mass production. So you job shops are the ones who do onesie, twosie parts. But if you are a job shop production, you also want many, many OEMs or many customers right. to serve so that you can keep yourself busy you know, three shifts or for at least 40 hours a week and you pay your bills. So they are very excited people and they're very creative in the way they manufacture parts, early stage of prototyping, but they want continuity of business. So they want access to many basically customers and these customers want access to many of these job shops. So that kind of link is interesting to build right from the beginning. And then you have the same problem with the medium or batch production, you know, so when you are in tens to hundreds and then your mass production. This is an awesome start to the show. I appreciate defining supply chain for the aviation industry. When we come back, I actually want to ask you what you think it's going to actually take specifically for UAV and EVTOL and the things that you and NASA are working on to actually um, help incubate this program. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest today is Dr. Paramal Kopadakar, who is the director of the NASA Aeronautics Research Institute. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more PK. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest today is Dr. Paramo Kopardakar, who is the director of NASA Aeronautics Research Institute. Welcome back, PK. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. As a follow-up to the conversation we're having in the first segment, if we want to build a new industry like EVTOL, electric vertical takeoff and landing, how would you go about building it? That's a great question, Keith. Uh, first of all, we are starting a working group uh, for supply chain. So it's on the NARI website, NARI, NASA Aeronautics Research Institute, .arc, Ames Research Center, .nasa.gov, slash AAM supply chain. Uh, or you can just do search on uh, on my LinkedIn or wherever. You um, can email us to info. At you can email. Is, there you go. Yeah. So you can find that. And uh, so we are starting a work group. So the the fundamental part that we are trying to do is, people have said repeatedly that they are having trouble finding suppliers. So we are saying let's do three things. One is build an electronic exchange platform that allows the would be suppliers you connect with the customers, so to speak, or the original equipment manufacturers, we need 
to solve the problem of suppliers connecting with other suppliers so that the tier system evolves. And second is the suppliers connecting with the customer. So this electronic exchange platform will reduce the friction of finding the suppliers. We have a lot of risks right now. The risks are sole source suppliers, not having enough raw material, dependency on some countries that uh, that they may not want to do that for IP and other reasons, foreign trade considerations. So how do you go about changing that? So first is to have this, how do you reduce the friction of, of finding suppliers with other suppliers in the low tier and and the customer. So first we are going to build a, this electronic platform that allows the connections. Second, we are going to come up with a tier system which is required and beneficial for all eVTOL companies. This is not an IP protection issue for any one company, but it is right. So electric motors and all the way to charging. So for example, if you're operating eVTOL and you want to charge bat, you know, batteries, you need that plug that gets hooked into right. charging, right? Now, there is no reason why that plug should be uh, very IP-centric and not standardized. That can be standardized just like your car. You go put in a fuel pump. You That, that basically, uh, that hose that goes in there is standardized regardless of which car you have, it fits. That reduces the cost for everybody. So there may be few things you want to keep uh, standardized for everybody. So figuring out is kind of pre-competitive or not competitive issues together is a great thing. So that reduces cost for everybody, increases standardization, creates things faster, maintenance is easier, right? So that's one aspect of this working group. So we'll be looking at that. Like what are the places we can standardize? Maybe seed belts, maybe some of these other things could be standardized. You know, second is where are these um, places where we get certain key aspects that are also IP focused, but uh, through this electronic exchange platform, it has ability to make sure that you mention your certification, production certification that FAA authorizes for aviation grade parts. So. You have the authentication that these parts are aviation grade. You want these aviation grade parts to be aviation grade. All the way to the end of the supply chain, which is the maintenance, repair, overhaul, you want the inventory of these parts available at the local level. Let's say you are flying EVTOLs in Dallas or LA or San Francisco, where things are going to need some repairs and maintenance and preventive actions. How do we do that? What is the best way to get that going? So you would want to put these out there and say, I have inventory access to this part, but these are authenticated parts nearby. Just like your car breaks down, you go to, or it needs repair, you do that. You have the same access and the parts show up in a few hours and you have maintenance technicians that are qualified. So we need to have the similar kind of setup. We need to, to get training for these folks who can handle high voltage kind of situation. So where is the gap in the talent and skills that we need to build that? Uh, some some people have said that they can't find enough eVTOL uh, design engineers or manufacturing engineers or maintenance technicians. All of that is part of the supply chain ecosystem. So yeah. we 
we have to build the parts. So we need to find the suppliers and manufacturers who will build parts. We need to find technicians, maintenance people, engineers will do that. And then we need overarching modeling simulation platform that says, today I want to make 1,000 parts. What is the capacity in the world for making these 1,000 EVTOS? Maybe we have it. What about 100,000? Do I have the capacity? Do I have enough ball bearing manufacturers in a certain region or all over the world? Do I, are we taking unnecessary risk? All my ball bearing manufacturers located in only one area uh, geographically who could have a significant risk or is that going to cause some challenges or are they all in one area where there could be tornadoes or earthquake or some other problem? Look at the resiliency of this entire chain. Thank you so much. This is really interesting. Uh, coming out of technology and banking, the analogous supply chain by regulation, we have a lot of these things that have to occur, especially when we talk about electronic systems for banks. And I know it's a little bit different in aviation, but whenever possible, you cannot have a sole source. You have to have the support models in place and you have to have the ability to do, when we talk about risk analysis, you have to do the simulations. So it's it's fascinating because We've shot people up into the moon in space. And to, from a supply chain perspective, you would think that these shouldn't be new issues. So really, it's how do you apply these emerging technologies into these established models to get the right platform and output? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. It's very similar to other industries. I mean, by the way, the supply chain term came about because it started to apply to service industry like you were giving example, Keith, uh, not just the production. Originally, when I studied production engineering, we used to call production planning and control. Yeah, absolutely. And when as the service industry came about, it was like broader term than production. That's why the supply chain thing, thing came about. So. Oh, coming full circle, um, I had a long time stint in uh, partnership management vendor management, and I was uh, trained at Cisco Systems. And a lot of the people that I interacted with, the more mature folks, they all came out of the defense industry. So they were the ones who were in the 80s uh, doing all the supply chain, supply chain management for the defense contractors. It's coming full circle. This is the uh, great thing. The talent exists to come up with the right structures, and then how do we um, train and scale so that we can have a very well thought out and thriving ecosystem? Yeah, absolutely. There, is, there are many lessons learned in the past. I'll give examples when Fukushima disaster happened. A uh, lot of suppliers, downstream suppliers got impacted and many companies looked at, talked to the first year suppliers. They said, no problem. We, are, we don't have any problems. You know. But the downstream suppliers did and they had some inventory uh, safety stock, so to speak, you know, uh, sort of a term that you can borrow from textbook in supply chain. And then when those were replenished, when these were exhausted, sorry, then they, all of a sudden they started having problems downstream in a few months down the line from the disaster. And then, oh, what happened here? I thought we didn't have problems. But it's, so you when you're really assessing supply chain resiliency, you really had to look at entire chain all the way to the downstream, all the way to the raw materials. If you are going to use cobalt and everybody else wants to use cobalt for batteries and electric cars and such, then are we going to have a problem if we depend on cobalt? As an example, 
we may not, but I'm just speculating that you know we need to do analysis and say, yeah, we can make hundred thousand of this and two hundred thousand of that and millions of these and cobalt is not going to be an issue downstream. But if that's an issue, then you have to consider that in your design trade. What should I do differently now? You know. Well, thanks, PK. In our next segment, I'm going to want to talk about what's the plan and how are we going to move forward. So once again, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. Special guest today is Dr. Paramal Kopardarkar, who is the director of NASA's Aeronautic Research Institute. We're talking about the importance of supply chain to modernize our next generation aviation ecosystem. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back with more with PK. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 7846 That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome Kuh. back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have Dr. Paramo Kopardarkar, who is the director of NASA's Aeronautics Research Institute. We're talking about the importance of a healthy supply chain and third parties. Speaking of third parties, in this week's cyber tip, I actually want to talk about Garmin. Garmin had a massive data breach. So Garmin's really well known for those fitness watches, those fitness trackers. Think even before your smartphone can do this. Well, Garmin, although they still have their fitness trackers, they actually have their technology embedded in other vertical markets such as aviation and marine and other outdoor activities. Well, their entire company got shut down. And at first there was no information on it, but it turns out that they were the victim of a malware attack. So we've talked about malware a lot and how it can reside for years in your company systems. It can be um, instigated by phishing attacks where you get emails and you click on it and suddenly your network's infected. So there's a number of different things here that we should be concerned about. On one hand, Garmin's been down for days. They still haven't recovered yet as we speak. So it's been at least five days. That's considered a pretty major outage in technology terms. Also, they did not give much information out at all. And having run technology risk and third-party risk for the second largest bank of the world, uh, I can tell you that from a financial institution standpoint, breach notifications are actually regulated. And so if you think about being a pilot relying on Garmin's data, and now you don't have access, and now you have to fly, well, potentially, if you have no ability to sync your data or even go back to a backup of your data, you will not be able to rely on that. So that is pretty devastating from a user standpoint. Now, a lot of people have said that Garmin probably won't suffer very much in terms of market cap even though their earnings call is very soon. And that goes back to them being a closed system. You rely on them if you use them and you really don't have any alternatives. But I think this sheds more light that even companies who aren't as regulated or not regulated, that they do have a certain level of responsibility. The ransomware attack is for $10 million in cryptocurrency. That is to decrypt all the encrypted data. So this particular malware took over systems, encrypted entire databases. Garmin has publicly stated they don't think any personal information has been stolen, which would be the other area of concern. But they still have not come back with 
what the resolution is going to be. So here's how you should keep your organization safe. Always back up your systems regularly so that even if your systems were encrypted, you'd be able to restore off of a recent backup. Also, you should take a zero trust philosophy to your systems and really not give access unless you really need to. If we go back to the Twitter hack from a couple weeks ago, there were over a thousand Twitter employees that had access to the types of activities that actually ultimately resulted in that hack. And so these are very basic hygiene things that you would think companies like Garmin or Twitter would do. And it's very easy things. So that's the cyber tip is to don't get complacent and take the time to take the necessary precautions. And that's the cyber tip of the week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest today is Dr. Paramo Kopitarker, who is the director of NASA's Aeronautics Research Institute. Welcome back, PK. Thank you. So great conversation today, PK, about the importance of supply chain. We talked about what supply chain looks like. Uh, currently, we talked about some of the challenges in modernizing. I want to know what's the plan? How are we going to move forward to ensure that we're modernizing? Yeah, so part of the plan, uh, Keith, any plan is to first start with awareness. What is the problem or likely problem? So we are at the, that stage. We are kind of collecting everybody together and saying, here is a need. Do we have a problem? Uh, maybe we don't, we do. But most people are saying we do have a problem because they can't find the suppliers um, or they have sole source suppliers or, you know, the things are getting delayed and things like that. So we, we think we have a problem. So knowing that, then you say you start to assess and the next layer in the chain and, and say, where is the problem? Is the problem not able to manufacture um now, these are all aviation-grade things we're talking about, you know, ball bearings, actuators, motors. Is it the microelectronics? Some people think microelectronics is a problem because it needs to be trusted microelectronics uh, when it comes to these advanced vehicles. So it could be semi-autonomous, autonomous and downstream. How do you make sure that the electronic microelectronics that goes in there is authenticated and foolproof? and such so we we have to kind of assess where the challenges are um and then figure out based on that needs uh, so let's let's make example let's make sure that we have more ball bearing manufacturing capacity or more actuators or motors or electronic parts you know could be the chips it could be whatever have you so the first generation is to sort of figure out where and and you know you can get the symptoms of problems based on how much difficulty you have in trying to find a supplier or how much time it takes to find a supplier and have that supplier give you the parts that you know typically made so the waiting time versus production time if the waiting time is way out of <laughs> disproportionately high then you know there's a challenge here you know uh because yeah i mean some people say yeah you go foreign country so, and that would work in some cases. In other cases, it may not work because uh, you don't uh, you don't always want to go to the foreign country and buy parts in bulk and have sitting on inventory that costs money too. So certain parts may be, you know, in inventory management, there's a classic technique called ABC analysis. So 
high value parts, a low value parts. Uh, you can have by you know it's called trivial, trivial many and um, worthy few. So very the the few very expensive parts you can't carry too much inventory because it locked down your capital. So you want to have access to those. Uh, in a in somewhat uh, decent shape in a, in a quicker fashion, and the transport costs are uh, reduced, and ability to get to them is fast. That's kind of where we are assessing where the needs are and figuring out where focus in terms of the real need, and then encourage business. So the part of this really cool thing that I'm excited about is encouraging new businesses to say, hey, look here, the need is for businesses and entrepreneurs and suppliers. Come join the new revolution of aeronautics here. You know, that's the cool part, like bringing people together, getting them excited and showing them that there is a business opportunity in creating opportunities for jobs and businesses. This is really exciting. No, I think it is really exciting. And I think uh, the work that you and NASA and the ecosystem are doing because I, I really like how the aviation industry they can be competitive, but they're actually all trying to improve the ecosystem together. So I, I really appreciate that about what that group is doing. I did have a burning question. Technically, NASA is really well known for research as a research organization. How does this all fit in? That's a great question. Uh, so if you look at NASA, right, our we have a number of charters. Obviously, one of them is the competitiveness of aero industry at large. Uh, so, in order to get there, we need to have the capabilities uh, and making sure that there's awareness of the capabilities. So, that's one stream. But part of the research that I am excited about is being able to do a macroscopic modeling analysis of how the supply chain is, where the resiliency is needed, where the risks are, where we are taking risk related to very, very few suppliers. And if you say, I want to draw uh, and increase my scale from 100 aircraft per month to 10,000 per month, where am I going to hit bottlenecks? So that's a fundamental kind of modeling research uh, environment that we are building also to assess that, you know, where can we get into trouble for future and we need to be future proof so part of the research is making sure that we don't hit those barriers uh in the future and we will be prepared as an ecosystem you know uh so there is an interesting research related to the modeling simulation of these entire ecosystem all the way to the raw material and assessing how best to do that it could be interesting implications of that if certain type of material like cobalt for example I'm not saying that's likely, but if it does get into a situation where the price of cobalt or it will increase significantly because of shortage that's anticipated because everybody wants cobalt, then maybe the part of research comes back and says, hey, can we look at different materials for things that we do in aerospace instead of depending on material X? Uh, so that's sort of the very fascinating how the interplay works of across the various factors of risks and resiliency and scalability. I'm, I'm part of the working group, so I'm very much looking forward to the solutions because, uh, like we said before, there's a lot of supply chain principles that certainly um, the industry is aware of and that we just have to really apply. Because I can think about when the flooding occurred in Southeast Asia, hard drives became unavailable for quite a while, and companies like Google 
Cisco couldn't even. I was there. I couldn't get hard drives, and unless you, you we had, had pre-ordered, but there's definitely the middle market could not get these materials. Yeah. So, so everything you said resonates. Uh, PK, I want to be really sensitive your uh, of time. I know you're extremely busy, so I appreciate you taking the time today to talk about the importance of supply chain. I look forward to you coming back on again, so we can continue this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting NASA and me, uh, Keith. I look forward to continued discussion and. I want to give kudos to our PAO, public affairs officer, Daryl Waller, just outstanding. You know, he's always supportive of our events and participation in, in forums like yours, Keith. So thank you for Daryl and you both. Yeah, Daryl's great to work with. I know you and a lot of the NASA executives are very, very hard to schedule. So I appreciate the time. I appreciate everything that you and Daryl do. So I will talk to you soon. If you have any questions or comments about what we talked about regarding supply chain today and NASA and NARI, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And be sure to sign up and subscribe so you can hear the next time that we have uh, Dr. Paramal Kopadarkar with us. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to the show. Uh, my special guest for The Pivot today is Alex Billos, Chief Technology Officer of Aeronide. Alex will be on next week's show as well to talk about all the innovation happening in the drone-as-a-service space. But now we're going to follow up on the show we just did with PK of the NASA Aeronautics Research Institute. Welcome, Alex. Hi, Keith. Thank you for having me. So today's show with PK, who we know very well, was about the importance of supply chain in UAV and UTM, so unmanned aerial vehicles and unmanned traffic management systems. What's your take on what does the supply chain look like that is more U.S.-centric? Well, Keith, over the last five years, I have been involved in um, commercial drone hardware development specifically, software development, data and algorithms. And uh, I can tell you for certain that it is very difficult to source whether hardware or software components entirely in the United States, but we are more than um, capable of building out the missing components. Um, propulsion computing, onboard computing, materials, very, very important for us to be able to build uh, fuselages uh, in the United States. Software is not all the same. I do believe that the United States being a service and really a systems ecosystem needs to primarily focus on um, development of algorithms, and firmware packages that will enable commercial drones to truly operate in fleets. Beyond that, to truly operate in autonomous fleets under direct supervision as always. I anticipate that the young commercial drone sector is uh, uh, going to very quickly and very soon going to require the creation and implementation of new certification processes 
something similar to what's already have has been happening on the manned aviation um, arena. There is one particular uh, certif certification process called DO one seven eight B or C, which mm -hmm. is software focused. I would like to see this particular standard to be somehow adopted into the commercial drone uh, arena and evolved to match the needs. How would that happen? It's really a collaborative uh, effort between manned aviation and unmanned aviation. And uh, the FAA is the key player in this ecosystem. Now, um, groups like Small UAV Coalition who are the bridge uh, between the federal agency, the suppliers, and the users, which is which are companies like Aeronide who have pilots who have their own equipment, but who are not necessarily in uh, uh, the direct compliance and implementation arena. So, I really want to see less of reinventing the wheel and more of looking at what is here today, what has already been validated, what is working within manned aviation and maybe even other industries, what is applicable in telecom that can help us accelerate adoption of commercial uh, drone technology. What is it that is already validated, approved and even certified in telecom, for instance, that can transition very quickly into the commercial drone sector. And this is nothing new, Keith. Um, there's a lot of people, brilliant people and brilliant businesses that are working on this worldwide, trying to harmonize and piece together this unmanned traffic management ecosystem. Supply chain is critical in uh, empowering this young sector and in establishing it as a long-term service sector for, for the global economy. Well, that, that was one of the things that surprised me as I got more engaged with our company, Aeronide, and working closer with NASA and folks like PK, that as much as supply chain was founded on the things that we were doing with manned missions to the moon and the space shuttle and now all the stuff that's happening with SpaceX, in some ways they were pioneers in supply chain, in other ways uh, it's surprising how still, however many years later, a lot of things are single source. And so in my role managing supply chains for very large corporations, um, it's surprising to me. This was like a, a, a thing that I was quite shocked about in terms of what's happening. And the call to action at a conference PK ran back earlier, this should be for lockdown. Um, NASA had talked to the call to action of 5,000 startups involved in uh, unmanned systems was that we had to modernize our supply chain. Absolutely. We, ha we have to modernize and we have to build it up because if we want to scale the commercial drone sector, we, got, we have to scale our manufacturing, domestic manufacturing, and we have to scale systems management and monitoring here domestically as well. I'm not even going to touch uh, data analytics because ultimately, that's, you know, that's a, a whole separate universe, but we're flying drones for a reason. We are collecting some type of a data, and we want to get useful insights out of it. So before any of that happens, I personally would like to see drones made in the USA, if not equivalent, then exceeding the quality, the performance, 
of uh, foreign devices. And it had to be at a competitive price. Absolutely. Competitive pricing is going to truly be a challenge. It is, uh, it, it's not impossible with uh, the help from state and federal level uh, agencies and support groups. Uh, sometimes it makes sense to invest in younger industry sectors more rapidly just to give them a boost. And I think that the commercial drone sector is really one of those very useful, almost validated technologies. Yep. And, and that will be a topic for another show because unfortunately we're out of time. So Alex, thanks again for being on the show today with PK. And I look forward to our show next week when we really dive into what's happening in the commercial drone space. So thanks for being here. Thank you, Keith. Time flies when we're having fun. Any questions or comments about UAV, UTM, drones of the service, Aeronide, give us an email at info at You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 